this morning that he could go ahead and stretch because that way if for some reason I went over, it was his fault, not mine. I had it all timed out and then he went long, so it's okay. But uh, no, just kidding. Uh, that was great to know and learn about that uh, great hymn that we had. So as we get ready to start this evening, let's go ahead and uh, open in a word of prayer and uh, we'll look into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And even as we are going through this study here, Lord, uh, we do just thank you for the fact that we can come together as a body to learn more about you and to worship you through so many ways as we do uh, here corporately uh, right now. And I just pray, Lord, now that as we continue this evening that you would continue to be glorified through uh, the time that we have here together tonight. Just thank you now for what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to be continuing our study of the church. Um, as Pastor mentioned, uh, Pastor Ron and I, over the next couple weeks while he's gone, instead of cutting into this series and doing something different, we're going to go ahead and just continue on. And for me tonight, we're going to be looking at leadership in the church and what that looks like. And as we think about that, we're going to come to a spot where we just look at the offices that are here and the qualifications of those. But as I was prepping for tonight, I found the following story. It's a story about a man named George. And George was 28 years old. He was single and he was still living with his parents. One Sunday morning, George told his mother he wasn't going to church. First, he said, I'm tired. Second, people there just don't seem to like me. And third, sermons are just dull. Well, his mother wouldn't take no for an answer. She said to George, she says, well, you have to go. First off, we always worship together on Sundays, and we do it at church. Second, it doesn't matter if they like us or not. And third, you're the pastor. You have to be there. A little bit of humor, but as we turn to tonight, we come to the serious topic of leadership of the church. And it's serious because leadership is something within the church that's very important and very necessary. And the question that comes down to when we talk about leadership and what it looks like within the church is, how do we know? How do we know what leadership looks like? Because there are different places, different people, they have different thoughts. And as we come tonight, we're going to look at the idea that if we want to know what true leadership in the church looks like, we have to look into Scripture. And that's where we're going to look this evening. Tonight, we're going to go back to the beginning of the church. And we're going to look at the two offices of leadership that have been established and see what Scripture has to say about them. There's a lot of information out there. Even as I was preparing for this sermon tonight, I probably had 10 different books on leadership in the church and half a dozen different pamphlets talking about elders and deacons and what their roles are and how they get qualified to do that and what makes an elder an elder and what makes a deacon a deacon. And in fact, here at this church, we have a class right now called Leadership and Governance of the Church. It's taking an entire quarter to go through what does it look like to lead and govern in the church. So obviously, I'm not going to be able to hit 
every topic, everything that we need to talk about tonight. But much like Pastor has done the last couple Sundays, and we're going to continue to do as we go through the study, we're going to take a big picture look at what leadership in the church looks like. We're going to take a look at the offices that have been established and look at what does that mean for us today. And as we do that, I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is going to be our starting point for the evening. And we're going to be moving around. We're going to be looking at different passages of Scripture. But this is going to be our starting point for the night. We're going to start here and kind of launch the rest of our evening from here. So Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And as we come into Acts chapter 6, Christ has ascended back into heaven. We see that the church is growing And we see that as the church grew, much like any church we would see today, issues began to arise. And the larger the church got, the more issues that seemed to arise. And we come to Acts chapter 6 and we see the apostles realizing that as the church grows and these issues arise, they can't handle everything that comes up. They can't deal with all of them. And come with me now into Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at how they looked into handling these new issues that arose. So Acts chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We come into Acts chapter 6, and as we said, we see the church growing. We see the church turning, growing into a spot where the apostles realize they're not able to handle everything. They can't preach, they can't do the ministry of the word, and handle all of the physical needs that are starting to arise. They realize that there has to be another group of people that has to take care of these different things. And as we see in Acts chapter 6, they come before all of the disciples and they say, this is what we need. We need a group of men that are able to handle the physical needs that arise, like the one that is coming about right now. We need to be able to handle the word. We need to be the ones that are doing the ministry of the word. And we need this other group of men that are able to handle this. And the disciples all agreed, like, yeah, we, we want you to be able to handle the word. We want you to do that. Let's do this. Let's find these men. And we see seven men that were picked. And many uh, scholars would say, even though you don't see the word deacon in these spots, this is where... Many scholars would say this is the spot where the office of deacon first came to be inside of the church because you see this idea of who's there. So as we continue to grow and as we see the church grow through Acts and we read Paul's letter to the church, we start to see that elders and deacons become the leadership of the church. 
See, we, we see in this passage in Acts chapter 6, we see the apostles that were there. And we see these men who had witnessed Christ, which is what one of the things that it takes to be, a, be an apostle is you need to be able to have seen the risen Christ. And these men did it. And as they started to pass away, as their generation left the scene and their job was done and their work was finished, we see as we go through Acts and we see as we go through the letters that Paul wrote to churches, we see him talking to the elders and the deacons of these different churches. We see that these are the new offices that are set to establish to take care of the church, to be those that lead within the church. We look at this, we see in Acts chapter 14 where Paul and Barnabas were traveling from city to city and we see in verse 23 that elders were appointed in every church and committed to the Lord. We come to Acts 15 too, we see Paul and Barnabas were to go up to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and the elders, further showing this distinction between these roles that are there. As we walk through Paul's epistles to the churches, we see him address elders and deacons as they become leaders of the church. In Philippians 1.1, Paul addresses his letter to all the saints of the, in the Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. He actually addresses his letter to the saints and the elders and the deacons. Since we see this transition in leadership, since we see that the church is moving to the spot where elders and deacons are those that are in leadership, those are the offices that we're going to focus on this evening. We're going to look at the offices of elder, of deacon, and what that looks like to us. And we're not going to look at them as one being superior to the other. Sometimes we get this idea that the office of deacon is a proving ground. It's a spot where we're going to take our young men, we're going to put them in as a deacon, and as they grow and mature in their faith, then we'll allow them to become an elder. But when we look at Scripture, what we see is we see qualifications of the two that cross over between both of them as we go through, and we're going to look at that tonight. What we see is in these two offices is that they're two very distinct offices. They're two offices with different tasks, but both that are very necessary and vital to the church running and us being able to spread the gospel message that the Lord wants us to be spreading through our churches and through us as his saints. And we're going to look at this tonight, so as we get ready to go, let's go ahead and get started. And we're going to look first at the two offices. First, we're going to look at the office of deacon. As I looked at this and I, I was looking through Scripture. You don't see a lot of specific passages of what a deacon's supposed to do. You don't, you don't walk through and have Paul laying out, okay, so four deacons, here's what a deacon will do. But as I started looking and I started doing some more research into this, as you look at the meaning of the word deacon and the task given to them at the beginning of the church here in Acts chapter 6, we start to get a better picture of what the role of a deacon is. The Greek word for deacon is diakonos, which simply in its definition is the word servant. A deacon is a servant. That is what they do. At its narrowest definition, this word means to serve tables, as we see in Acts chapter 6. And as we expand this definition and we see its use in the New Testament in different places, we see this word means to serve in many different capacities. It means that ways to serve, and we see both 
within the church and out of the church in Scripture, this word being used as service. But when we look at it as the idea of a deacon, as the idea of this office within the church, we see many different ways that they serve. We see this is an appropriate title for them. As we think about Acts chapter 6, some people look at that and they say, yeah, the, the apostles looked at this and said, we can't be tasked with those menial tasks over here. We have a higher calling. Our calling is to teach. Our calling is to preach. But I think when you take a look at what they said when they looked at this and what they were thinking is there were real needs within this group of believers. There were real physical needs that had to be taken care of. There were real issues between different groups of people within those that were there. And these all had to be handled. They had to be taken care of for the church to continue to grow. And they realized that this important job needed to have someone other than them handling it. Wasn't that they thought these men were not godly men? We see the qualifications that they had for them. It said that they need to be of good repute, full of the Spirit, and wise. These weren't men that didn't understand. These were men that did understand. They were men that were fully capable, just like everybody else that was there. But they were suited for the task at hand. Just like now, deacons are suited for the task at hand. That's the difference between what some people think and what I'm talking about this evening. They realized the important job there, and they realized that these men were perfectly gifted to handle the job that is there. So if we take this idea of Acts 6, and we take this idea of service, we take this idea of what a deacon is and what they do, and we apply it to our situation today, what does it look like? What does that look like within the church? Deacons are very much concerned with the practical details of everyday church life. They take care of administration, maintenance, finances. They take care of the physical needs of church members. They take care of making sure that we have the opportunity to fellowship together Basically, everything in the day-to-day of this church, of a church in today's world, that's what the deacons take care of. When we think about these tasks, they kind of seem tedious and mundane to some, but they're so important to the success of the church. I was thinking about this as I was working on this sermon, and I was thinking about the idea of how much our churches would be crippled if no one were to step up to do well the things that the deacons step up to do. Just imagine how distracted the pastoral staff would be if not only were we trying to cover speaking and ministering the word and taking care of all the different pieces that the deacons take care of each and every day, most of which none of you ever actually see. To be honest, teaching and preaching would inevitably suffer because there are so many other pieces that have to be taken care of. If the time that is taken that Pastor Chad uses each week to prepare for sermons was taken to make sure that the boiler got taken care of, to make sure that the 
air conditioning was working, to make sure that the parking lot was being taken care of. And he was doing all of those things, and he wasn't able to devote his time to studying. Inevitably, his preaching would suffer. And when it's all said and done, the church would be starving for a lot more important things than the things that we're concerned about there. And I think about the idea of how that plays out here at Byron Bible. I think about the idea of in the summer, the church is always cool. In the winter, the church is always warm. Even this winter, as we came into this fall season, we were starting to get concerned because, as you all know, the boilers were on their last leg. They were old, they were tired, and they weren't working anymore. The deacons took it upon themselves to be the ones, they're the ones that went out and they got different bids, they did the different pieces that need to happen behind the scenes and spent a lot of time making sure that when we come in here in the winter, it's going to be warm, that pipes aren't going to be freezing, that those things aren't going to happen. (laughs) They make sure the technology is working. This morning when I came up here and sat down before I was going to give my announcement, I saw the cool strobe light that we had going on up there in front. And by the time I had gotten up, given my announcement, went back and sat down, it wasn't doing it anymore. They figured out how to fix that, how to take care of it. We have issues with the internet and streaming pop up. They're the ones that are sitting back in the booth and they're the ones that take care of making sure that those things get fixed and we're able to do the things that we need to do. They keep us fiscally responsible. They make sure that when they're looking at contracts and doing those different pieces that we're using our, spending our funds wisely, being able to do more things in ministry because we're not spending the money on things that we, sh- that we shouldn't be. They give us opportunities to fellowship together as a congregation. We just had the, the get-together at the Toonstra House not too long ago where we were able to get together to hang out, to just enjoy fellowshipping with one another. There are deacons that are part of that committee that help make that happen. So as we think about deacons, yes, sometimes it may look like they're doing all of these jobs that people might not want to do, but you know what? They're really important. Without them, we wouldn't be able to be in this building doing the things that we do. So much like we've talked about already, make sure if you see a deacon around sometime over the course of this month, while you're thanking your staff, thank them as well. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we do. So we think about this office of deacon, we look at the way that they're specially suited to do the things that they do. We then roll into this idea of elders. And for the office of elder, there are a lot more places that we can go in scripture to see what the office of elder looks like. It's spoken of and the roles that they play are talked about more. As we, as we think through this idea, we look at elders and we look at them kind of as the overseers of the church family. They're the ones that are overseeing those ministries that we always listen, think of it as the idea of they're the shepherds of the flock. They're the ones that are doing that teaching, that preaching. And I want to take us to a couple of different passages here as we look at this idea of them being a shepherd. First, I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and the first uh, few verses of that, of that chapter there. 1 Peter chapter 5. 
says this starting in verse 1. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you'll, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As we look at this passage, Peter's talking to the elders and he's telling them, shepherd the flock. Exercise oversight over the church. And he makes sure to tell them, do this willingly and eagerly. Don't do it because you're being forced to do it. Don't do it in such a way that you're domineering. Don't look for shameful gain. As elders, your job, Peter's saying, is to willingly and eagerly care for the sheep in your flock. That is what you're to do. He says, don't be controlling, but be an example of what a good leader is. Part of being an elder is mentoring others. And Peter's saying here, he says, don't be controlling, don't be domineering, be an example. Show others what it means to be a good leader. Show others what it means to care for those that you are put in charge of. He also tells those under elders' leadership, He says, subject yourselves to their leadership. I often say when it comes to decisions and things that are being made at a board level, I love when people ask me questions. Because it means that you're thinking, you're looking through those, you're you're trying to understand what is there. But what I would say is as, as Peter talks about the spirit of humility for those that are under eldership, under their, under their um, leadership, is be humble in how you do this. Be gracious to them as they are just like you. They are sinful people seeking to do what God would have them to do and seeking to use God's wisdom in what they're doing. A lot of times... Elders and deacons in their meetings, they know things that you don't know. And they know things that, I'm sorry, you can't know. And they make those decisions based on that information that they have and the things that they've been given. And they're doing that based upon the fact that they think this is what's best in what God would have for the church. And sometimes when you don't have all the pieces and you have you have maybe two of the five pieces, and they have all five pieces, it doesn't going to make sense to you what they did. But it's in those moments that you need to trust the fact that they are men of good repute. They are men filled with the Spirit, and they are men that are seeking God's wisdom in what they're doing. And as we do that, as we're able to do that. Those that are in those leadership positions need to be humble enough that if something does get brought to their attention, that we're able to be like, okay, let's look at that. 
let's understand that. I'm not the one that's going to control everything that you do. I'm going to be the one that says, okay, I'll take a look at that. I'll see if there's something there that we didn't see before. And just as we talk, have talked about us and our day-to-day Christian lives, our relationship between congregant and elder needs to be one of humility. We need to be humble with each other and as we continue to do that. So Peter's talking about this idea of, of caring for the flock, of doing these things. And now I want to run back to Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, we're going to see Paul. And Paul's going to be speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And as we move into verse 28, he tells them to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. And we're going to see why. So Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32, it says this. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for these, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. As we come to this verse, Paul reminds the elders at Ephesus that there's wolves among you. There's those that are going to come in from the outside that are going to be teaching, teaching falsehoods. And unfortunately, it's not just going to come from the outside. There's going to be people among you that are going to have the same thing happen. You need to be aware. You need to be watchful. Like a good shepherd, you need to be watching those in your care. You need to be making sure that you're vigilant that when these things happen, you're able to handle them right away. You're able to take care of these false teachings. You're able to share the truth with those that are part of your flock so that the false teaching goes away, that it doesn't take root within those that you're in charge of. So Paul and Peter both talk to these elders and say, teach the truth. Care for your people. And as you're caring for them, a big piece of that is ministry of the word. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we see the offices, five different offices that are there. And as we said earlier, the office of apostle was those specific to those that had seen the risen Christ. And we still can learn from them through scripture. That office is still teaching us today through God's word. We're able to read about Christ. We're able to understand firsthand accounts of him because of them. But as elders that are part of a qualification is to be able to teach, which we'll talk about soon, but the idea is that we need to minister the word. And as you look at that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that the reason that we minister the word is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. As those of us that are here teaching 
in different capacities, whether that be leading small groups, whether that be teaching Sunday school, whether that be preaching, whether that be through one-on-one sessions that you have with people that you're discipling. The reason that we do it is to equip the saints and to build up the body of Christ. Our goal as elders needs to be to equip the saints. It needs to be equipping those that we are charged to lead so that they can be going out and they can be sharing Christ with those that they come in contact with. That's the job of an elder, and to build up the body, to continue to grow the body through that, through the fact that not only are we sharing, but that those that we're equipping are out sharing as well, and we're exponentially building the body through that ministry that we have in that teaching that we're doing. So if that's what elders are supposed to be doing, what does that look like in the church today? Well, we just talked about part of it. It's teaching, preaching, mentoring, doing those things, sharing God's word with those that we're tasked to lead. It may also look like working through spiritual issues that pop up. We're a group of broken people. There are going to be spiritual issues that come to light. There are things that are going to happen that we need to work through and deal with. That's part of what the elders are there to do. And I think the biggest thing through that is that we lead by example. As we're learning, as we're growing, as we're sharing, as we're doing the things that we've talked about elders needing to do, we're showing that to other people by doing them ourselves. Here at Byron Bible, it's interacting with each one of you. There, each elder has a group of people that they, that they are to look over and Hopefully for you, you've had your elder calling. They've been looking to find out how you're doing. And we talk about that each month at our elders meeting. We talk about this, what's going on within care groups, and are there things that we need to know? Are there things that we need to understand? Working through differences between those and the flock. Inevitably, issues come up, like I said, whether that be a personal issue or issue between two people. And you need to be able to go to your elder and say, hey, I need help. And that elder may be able to help you. If they can't, then they bring it to one of the staff members to see if one of us can help in those things. But they're there to help in those situations. Work through theological questions that arise. Work to further the ministries of the church. Their job is to look at the ministries, whether that be Sunday school, Wednesday night programs, small groups, whatever thing we're talking about is to look at it. Are we sharing Christ as effectively as we can through the ministries that we have here at Byron Center Bible Church? Setting policies for ministries of the church moving forward. A lot of you that are on committees and things know that we're in the process of that right now. We're working through what does it look like for each of these different committees and the ministries that we have and setting forward so that for years to come that we have something set that people can look at and say, this is what missions means. This is what Christian ed means. This is what music means within Byron Center Bible Church. It's setting that vision, taking care of those things so that this ministry can outlive every one of us that's sitting here tonight. Unless Christ comes first, then none of us will care. (laughs) But until that day comes, the point is to make these ministries 
run in such a way that the gospel is being shared well after each one of us is here and gone. So we have these two offices. We have what they do. And there needs to be a special qualification, right? As with any leadership role that you have, there needs to be qualifications for those people to be part of that leadership. And I know that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a very detailed list of qualifications for elder and for deacon. I don't have time to walk through all of those tonight one by one. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to take those categories out of Acts chapter 6, and I want to look at the idea that when it comes down to it, the spiritual and moral part of who each of these elders and deacons are, a lot of the things in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are going to fit into these different categories. So let's take a look at them. First, it says that they needed to be people of good repute. In other words, people that are respected, people that are sincere, generous, faithful, self-controlled, people that if you were to ask somebody about that person would say, they're a godly person. I, I, see, I see Christ through them. As I, was, as I was looking for different ideas to go along with this, I found a quote um, and a definition, and it's on the website gotquestions.com. It says this. It says, As Christians, our number one priority is to represent Christ well to this lost and broken world. Because Jesus is honest, kind, loyal, and honorable, we should strive to be these things as well. And all of those qualities contribute to a good reputation. People evaluate the worthiness of our message based on our reputation as people of character. If we have poor reputations, our message is tainted as well. Dishonesty, gossip, hypocrisy, all these things damage our testimonies and do not reflect the character of Christ. Many will not heed our words when our reputations do not match what we claim to believe. If you ask the teens, I, I harp on testimonies a lot over the course of the time they're in junior high and high school. I talk about the idea that our testimony to the world is so important. It's so important for the world to see Christ through us. Because if we're going to share the gospel with people and we're out doing things that even they wouldn't do, they're not going to listen to us. They're not going to hear what we have to say. And as I thought about this idea within the realm of the offices of leadership in the church, it's the same thing. If as a leader of the church, I'm telling you that we have to be humble, that we have to be gracious, that we have to do these different things, and I'm always the opposite, you're probably not going to listen to me. Now, Understand that elders and deacons are sinful people just like each one of you. There's going to be moments of failure. There's going to be times when they're going to let their emotions get the best of them, these different things that could happen. But the question is, overall in their lives, is it a life that you would characterize as one that is a good reputation? 
one that you would say that you can see Christ through them. That's what it means to be a person of good repute, that you are one that is respected both inside and outside of this building. Second, it talks about the idea of being full of the Spirit. And as Pastor Chad said earlier today uh, in the morning service, I've been working through the fruits of the Spirit with you guys for a long time. And we look at those, the fruit of the Spirit, and we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We see all of these things that in and of ourselves we can't manifest. We need to have the Spirit in our lives to manifest them to their fullest. And if we're living a life that's Spirit-filled, these are the natural outpouring of what our life will be. As we allow the Spirit to control us, as we allow the Spirit to take root in our hearts and allow Him to grow this fruit in us, that is what's naturally going to come out. And much like I said when it comes to the things we do with our reputation, there's going to be moments that we slip. There's moments that all of us have that happen. Your leaders are going to have those moments. But as I have ended most of my sermons on the fruit of the Spirit, the question is, when people see us, do our lives generally show living a life that's characterized by the fruit that we see in Galatians chapter 5. We say that as, as the Christians wholeheartedly, but also within our leaders. Our leaders need to be those that are bearing that fruit each and every day. And finally, it talks about the idea of that we need to be full of wisdom. Flip over to James chapter 3 with me, and this is going to be where we talk about this idea James chapter 3. James 3, verse 17 says this. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. When we look at the idea of being full of wisdom, it's not being full of our own wisdom. It's being full of the Lord's wisdom. If we're going to lead, if we're going to be those that are going to care for others, we need to have God's wisdom. And as we look at James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, gives us these different pieces of what that should look like in our lives. Our wisdom should be pure. Our motives for the decisions that we make need to be pure motives. We don't make, this, our, we don't make our decisions out of envy. We don't make them out of selfishness. We make decisions based on what we truly feel the Lord would want in a given situation. Our wisdom's peaceable. When we make decisions, we do them to have the ultimate goal of bringing peace to the situation, not more strife. They're gentle. We consider how, our, how are our decisions going to affect other people. We're open to reason. We're humble enough to say, Lord, we need your wisdom in this. We have an idea, but we need to make sure that our idea lines up with your idea. The fact that they're full of mercy. When we make a decision, we need to make sure that we're showing mercy to those who wronged us. We need to be able to forgive 
And even as we talked about the idea of mercy before, not only do we need to be able to forgive, but when it's all said and done, we need to be able to help those that we've forgiven. That action can be a lot harder sometimes than the forgiveness in and of itself. We need to be full of good fruit. This ties in with that requirement above. We need to be led by the Spirit and manifest His fruit within our decisions. We need to be impartial. We have to be consistent. We need to be authentic in the decisions that we make. We can't let our feelings about others direct our decisions. We have to be seeking the Lord and what He would see as best in the situation. And finally, we need to be sincere. We need to be genuine in what we decisions that we make. And once they're made, we need to be genuine in this is what was made and this is why it was made. And the way that we can have those different things is that we're seeking the wisdom of the Lord. And we do that by being a student of the Bible. To have godly wisdom, we need to know what godly wisdom is and what it looks like. It's all right here. We need to be students of God's word. We need to be reading his scripture. We need to be studying that so that we can understand what we need to, to be using as our wisdom. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. As we're growing ourselves, we use this to help teach others. If we're going to live lives acceptable to the Lord, we have to study his word to understand what he wants us to do. And as we're doing that, it makes the next thing a lot easier. It's the fact that we need to hold the sound doctrine. As we read in Acts chapter 20, there's going to be false teachers that come in. And when those people arise, we have to be, we have to be so well-versed in Scripture that we can see it. You know, we often talk about the idea of well, the FBI, when they're looking for uh, forged money, when they're looking for that they've studied real bills so much that they can see those that are counterfeit. It's the same thing. We need to be so ingrained in God's word that we can see the false teachers when they come. And one thing that is very special to elders is that they need to be able to teach. It's a special responsibility that when we look in God's word, we see that elders have to preach the word and protect the church from the false teachers that come as elders, as the leaders read scriptures, they study it, they take what they have learned and they share it with those around them. And as we talked about earlier, teaching can take on many different forms. But elders need to be doing those as part of who they are and what they do, whether that be in one-on-one discipleship, whether that be in small groups, whether that be in Sunday school, whether that be up front doing speaking and preaching in, in the services, all of these different things, they need to be doing that. They use what they've learned to protect the church from false teachers and keeping that from getting in, but also to edify those that are part of the church, encourage and to build the body. So as we wrap up this thought tonight, elders and deacons are both very essential to the church. The church could not function to its peak capacity without either one of them. 
And as we, as we look at those offices, what's been kind of neat for me to see as I've been studying this in Scripture is that there seems to always be an S on the end of the word when it's in Scripture. It's elders and deacons, the idea that we have a plurality of leadership. There's multiple people that are part of it so that you don't have one person and one idea that carries everything. You're able to have meetings where everybody talks. And sometimes, to be honest, meetings can get a little heated because we have very differing ideas of what should happen. But at the end of the night, when we come to a decision, we're unified as we walk out as a group and we understand each other and we're able to and we're able to bring those things to the rest of the congregation and to share them with everybody. But as those groups meet and they do that, they are all important. They just have different things that they do, different objectives to make this happen. Like all Christians, both offices require those who are in them to be of high moral character, students of the word, and leading lives led by the Spirit, and humbly setting an example for those that they're leading. As we look to our leaders, we need to have a humble spirit as well to their leadership. We need to understand that there are people who are seeking God's wisdom just like we are and doing their best to further the ministries of our church and the gospel message. They're not doing it for selfish gain. They're not doing it out of being forced into it. They're doing it because they eagerly want to serve and they eagerly want to see God's word and the gospel furthered. So as we, as we leave here tonight, hopefully we walk out with a humble spirit towards each other, both as leaders and as those that are being led to be excited about the fact that our church is ministering and that we have those that are in charge that are helping to make that happen. Let's go ahead and pray, and I will wrap up for the evening. Heavenly Father, I do just thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. And I thank you for the leaders that we have here at Byron Center Bible Church. And I thank you that you have given us a blueprint for what this should look like. I thank you for allowing us even to be able to see the qualifications that need to be there for those that are part of leadership in the church. And I just pray, Lord, that as we, as we continue to have those that lead, as we have those that are being led, that the relationships that are there can be those that are of mutual respect and mutual humility towards each other, and that we're able to give grace to each other as we, as we continue to further your kingdom. Because ultimately, that is what we want as a church. We want to further the gospel. We want to be able to minister both here and to the world around us, Lord. And I just pray that that would be something that would be, that would be in the hearts of each one that's here, but especially so in the hearts of our leaders of the church here in Byron. Thank you now for the opportunity we've had to learn together and to worship you this evening. And we just pray now, Lord, that uh, as we go out, we would be those seeking to share you with those that we come in contact with. Thank you so much for what you've done and continue to do in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.